Will you share with me in God's word together as we read from the book of Jonah these words from the prophet as he realizes that Nineveh has been spared from destruction. Will you read with me these words? He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We've been in this sermon series the last few weeks called All the Places to Go, and we've been talking about how to discern God's will in this world, how to, how to find where God would lead us, and how to find those open doors, those doors that God has opened for us, that we might walk through them in faith, and that we might find them out in the world, that we would learn how to point those out, that we would walk through them in faith and confidence. And we've been learning throughout this week that an open door is an opportunity provided by God for you to bless others. That an open open door is an opportunity provided by God for you to bless others. Will you say that last part with me, that an open door is an opportunity provided by God for you to bless others. That to bless others part is the hard part. Is it not? Because I feel like when we start praying, when, when we start trying to discern God's will in this world, when we start actually focusing our lives on God, that's when, well, that's when God meddles in our life, right? That's when, that's when God changes things in our lives, and he starts calling us to things that we maybe don't want to do. Maybe God is calling us to live well below our means that we might bless others. That maybe God is calling us to give up a week of our vacation, that we might spend it in, in mission or, or at camp with kids, or, or, or maybe God is calling us to leave this job or to go to this place, to maybe move out of our neighborhood into this neighborhood of people who are really in need, that when we start praying for God to lead us in our lives, what we find is that God actually does it. And it's in those opportunities, it's in those times that many times we want to say no. Right? No, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, God, no, thank you. You're actually asking for the person down the street. No, God, that, that, that's, that's not me. I think it's interesting that many times our vocabulary includes the words, no, God. Right? No, God. That if we actually believed that God was leading us, then we might actually do what God is telling us. That if we were to be able to tell God no, then we might actually not be listening for God. That there are many times when we refuse, when we say no. But why? Well, I think one of the reasons is that we, well, we feel we're inadequate. We feel that we're not good enough to do the thing that maybe God has called us to, but there's good news in that. Because I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. None of us are, are good enough. What we find is, throughout the Bible, is that God calls the not good enough and makes them better, makes them perfect for God's call. Maybe sometimes we say no because, well, we're afraid. And many times we're we're not afraid that it might not work out, but we might be even afraid that God might do what God said he would do. And that is the story of Jonah. 
Jonah is such an interesting book. Jonah is a prophet, and he's a prophet of Israel. And as he's hearing God speak to him, we read these words in the first chapter of Jonah. God says to the prophet, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, it would be really easy to read these words and just breeze by them, but there's a lot happening in this one verse. You see, Jonah is a prophet of Israel. Jonah is a prophet of the, of the northern kingdom of Israel, and, 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 and prophets prophesy to, to their own people, to their own city, to their own country. Because at this time, it was believed that many different countries all had different gods, that, that your God was for you, and that another country had another God, and, and that God was against you. And, and when you would battle, you actually believed that your gods were fighting against each other. And, and, and so Jonah understood that, that his God, the God of Israel, was, was his God. But here the Lord is calling Jonah to preach to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, a kingdom that lies just north of Israel. We will find that 40 years after this declaration, Assyria will come in and wipe out Israel. That these countries have been battling for a long time now. And, and here Jonah is called to go to that capital city, to Nineveh, and, and to warn them that God will destroy them if they do not repent. And it's not just that Nineveh are full, is, is full of bad people. It, it's not just that these people are inherently bad, but I think that maybe Jonah just thought they were out there, right? That there are those people that are just far enough away for us not to care. Right? Those people who are just outside of arm's distance, those people who we don't see every day, so it's easy just to forget about them. We know them today. People who live in Baltimore. People who live in Iran. People who live in Syria. These people are just outside of arm's reach. These people who are just, it's so easy just to forget that they exist. These people are just out there and God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no God. I'm good, right? No, 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 that's, that's, that's not me. And in fact, Jonah doesn't even say anything to God. Throughout the entire first chapter of the book of Jonah, Jonah says not one word to God. And in fact, what he does is he marches down to Joppa, a port city, and he sets sail on a boat to Tarshish, right? I have a map here just to show you what happens. So, so Jonah goes to Joppa. You can see it there at the bottom right of the map. And instead of going the 550 miles to Nineveh, he sets on a boat for a 2,500-mile journey to Tarshish. This is where Jonah goes. So God and Jonah are not really on speaking terms at this point, right? Jonah has never really responded to God, but his getting on the boat is just a slap in the face to God. It's that resounding, nope, not going to do that. Right? Thanks, God, but no thanks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my own way. And so he gets on this boat to Tarshish, and he sets sail, and he falls asleep. And at this time, God causes a great wind and waves to crash over the boat, and it starts to toss the boat back and forth. And, and the storm gets so bad that these sailors who are on the boat with Jonah, these people who have made their livelihoods crossing the sea back and forth, these people who have spent more life on the boat than off are fearing for their lives. These are people who do not fear, scare easily, and, and here they are fearing that they will be tossed off this boat, that they will die. 
And, and so one of the sailors goes down and wakes up Jonah and, and, and he cries out, how have you been sleeping this entire time? We're all praying to our gods. Get up, pray to your God that we might be saved from this calamity. And so Jonah wakes up and, and rubs the sleep from his eyes and walks up to the deck of the boat and they cast lots to find out who is to blame for this calamity. And they find out it's Jonah and so they ask him what has happened. And Jonah starts to tell him the story, how he was called to Nineveh, how he's a prophet of Israel, how he set sail for Tarshish, and here they are. So the sailors look at him and say, fine, then tell us what to do, and Jonah says, throw me overboard, right, throw me out into the sea. Notice that Jonah doesn't tell him just to turn around. Right? No, no, no. Just take me back to Nineveh. I'll make all this right. Just, I'll, I'll end up doing the thing that I was supposed to do in the first place. No, no, no. Just, just go back. No, no, no. He says, throw me overboard. For it's better for me to die than to preach to those people in Nineveh. And so at first, the sailors refuse. They actually try praying to God. And, and so we read this again in the first chapter of Jonah. They called out on the Lord saying, please, Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. And don't blame us for innocent blood. You are the Lord. Whatever you want, you can do. So they cry out to God and, and, and they pray to the Lord, saying, Lord, don't let all of us die on this man's account. And, and, and when they end up praying, after they're done praying, we find out that they actually end up tossing Jonah overboard. We read this a little bit later in the chapter. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased its raging. The men worshipped the Lord with a profound reverence. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made solemn promises. Now, I think this part is really amazing. You see, all of the sailors are on the boat, and they're all praying to their own God. Right? Remember, anybody from a different country has their God of that country and of that land. And here they are, they've tossed Jonah overboard, and all of a sudden the waves stopped, and they began offering sacrifices to the Lord. They offer sacrifices to the God of Israel. That what we find is even after Jonah has refused his calling, even after God has opened this door for Jonah and Jonah has turned away from it, said, no thanks, I'm going to go my own way, doesn't even speak to God, goes the other direction, that even when he's refused God, God still uses his refusal as a means to offer grace. That God's story is so big that it can even include Jonah's refusal, Jonah's turning away from God turns into this act of grace to these sailors that they turn and look to the Lord. Well, Jonah is cast out into the sea and Scripture tells us that he was swallowed whole by a large fish. And so here he is in the belly of this fish and I'm sure this isn't the way that he saw this going. Right, that he was just hoping he could die. Just, just, just let me die, God, and, and just, just let this be over with. And, and, and what we find is God keeps offering grace after grace after grace that, that he's not going to let Jonah off this easy. A, a large fish comes by and swallows him whole. And he stays in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And he ends up turning to God in prayer in the belly of a fish. Now, I think Jonah prays to God at this point in the story, not because he's necessarily a faithful man, but because he's run out of options. 
right? This is what many anonymous groups, whether alcoholics anonymous or narcotics anonymous, whatever uh, anonymous groups, they call it rock bottom, right? They call it that point in your story where you realize you have nowhere to go but up. And in some ways, this is, is a good point to be at, that, that you can realize that really the only thing you can do is look to God. The only thing you can do is crawl out of this muck and begin your life again. And Jonah starts praying to God simply because he's hit rock bottom. And he looks up and he prays to God. And he cries out this prayer, this, this beautiful prayer about redemption about love, about how even in this moment, even in the belly of this well, he says, even in the depth of Sheol, this, this place of death, God, even there you find me. Have grace on me, God. And so three days and three nights he spends in the belly of this fish and he ends up getting thrown up onto the shore by the fish. Covered in muck now, he begins his trek towards Nineveh. He begins this march toward this city that he doesn't want to go to, covered in all of this filth after this long journey, this time that he's spent just rebelling from God again and again and again. And here he is reluctantly marching into the city. And we read these words in the book of Jonah chapter 3. That Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. Now, earlier in the passage, we learned that Nineveh was three days' journey across. So Jonah goes really just as far as you can get in by counting being in the city, right? He he goes a full, just one day's journey, and he cries out probably the lamest sermon in the entire Bible. He cries out these words, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. The capital of Assyria full of hundreds of thousands of people, all of these people crammed into the city of Nineveh, and all of them are called to repent. God says, you need to go there and tell them that they will be destroyed if they don't turn from their ways. Jonah, you really got to do something good if you get in there, because really, these people are headed for destruction. Jonah, you've got to turn them around, and all he says is 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then he turns around, and he starts marching back out of Nineveh. And on his march back out of Nineveh, he realizes that these people are really repenting. That even the city officials and the peasants, that even their animals are fasting, that all these people are putting on sackcloth and ashes, this sign of repentance, this sign of turning away from something bad, turning to something good, that all of these people start repenting. And and, and as he's marching out of the city, he's thinking, well, it's too little, too late. Right, right. This, this, this isn't going to help, guys. You're just making it worse. And, and as he's marching out of the city, he heads east of the city, up on a hill, so that he can watch the destruction of Nineveh. Finally, right, what he's been waiting for this entire time, God just cast fire and, 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 and brimstone and, and meteors and whatever else on this city. God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm watching now. And as he sits there and he waits, he realizes that God isn't going to do it that God has actually heard their cries of repentance, that God has actually offered this city, this foreign city of Assyria, these people of Nineveh, God has offered these people grace. And instead of celebrating, Jonah laments. He said these words that we read together, that, Lord, this isn't 
This is exactly why I was still in my own country. I didn't want to come. That This is why I fled to Tarshish the beginning, for I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But now, Lord, take my life from me. I've tried to die several times before and you wouldn't let me do it. Lord, take my life from me. Then God causes a plant to grow up over Jonah. That while he's on this hill east of Nineveh, God causes this plant to offer shade to Jonah. And and Jonah relaxes a bit, but then a worm comes and eats the plant and it dies. And Jonah cries out even more and laments the fact that this plant has died now. And God calls out to Jonah and says, you cry over this plant that you did nothing to grow, but these people of Nineveh, you did nothing to help them. And here they are saved by grace and you say not one word, Jonah. Not one word. Jonah laments the grace of God for one reason. Because it's not fair. God's grace is not fair. Early Christians, when they started following the way, made many parallels between the character of Jonah and Jesus Christ. That Jonah ran away from the call of God, but Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. When he came out of the river, uh, uh, the Spirit of God descended like a dove upon him, and, and all heard this voice of God saying, This is my beloved, my son, with whom I am well pleased. That, that Jonah, when he fell asleep in, in the bottom of the boat, when he woke up, he was eventually tossed off the boat. But when Jesus fell asleep, the disciples woke him up and he rebuked even the winds and the waves and they listened to him. That Jonah, he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a well and was chunked up on the shore. But Jesus spent three days and three nights in the grave. And when he came out, even death itself was conquered. That Jonah lamented the grace of God, but Jesus told stories about the grace of God. Because when Jesus was a boy, they read to him Deuteronomy. When Moses turned to the Hebrew people, and and Moses was talking about this land that they would go to, this land full of milk and honey, this this land of plenty. And when Moses talked about this land, he said, when you get there and and you plant your crops, when you gather those crops, leave the corners for the widow the orphan, and the alien. And when you plant vineyards, when you spend all of this time out in the garden, day in and day, in and day out, whenever you, you spend this time in the garden cultivating these beautiful grapes, take one sweep through. And all those grapes that you've left behind on that first sweep, just leave them there for the widow, the orphan, and the alien. And at this time, all the Hebrew people are looking at Moses going, What? Why? We've spent all of this time. we spent all of this time on these crops. Why would we leave it for these people who have done nothing to earn it? And I imagine Moses smiled as he said, for you were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. And you knew what it was like to go without. Now do these very things for the widow, the orphan, and the alien. 
that when it came time for Jesus to fulfill his ministry, when it came time for Jesus to talk about the kingdom of God, what, what it would be like if actually God reigned on this earth, when, when it came time for Jesus to tell stories about the kingdom of God, he would talk about this grace as a son. The younger of two brothers who would go to his father and he would say, Father, I, I know that, that when you die, I'll receive an inheritance. Right? We'll sell some of the land and, and I'll receive some portion of it and my brother will see the rest. But Father, go ahead and sell it. Right? I, I want it now. I, I, I can't wait anymore. I've been waiting for this for a while. Now just go ahead and sell it and, get, and give me my half. And, and the father does it. And, and the younger brother takes it out and he squanders all of it. He, he squanders all of this money on whatever he wants. He spends this part of his life just doing whatever he pleases, not considering anybody else's wants or needs. And it gets to a point at which he's feeding pigs. And he gets so hungry that he even eats the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And he gets to a point at which he's so low that he's hit rock bottom, that he has nowhere else to go but up, that he thinks to himself, even my father's slaves have it better than this. I'll go back and, and I'll give him this speech that, that, Father, I've sinned against you and against your household and that I would even be considered a slave in your house. And, and so the younger brother starts his journey home. But what he doesn't know is that his father each day has been standing on the porch and he's been scanning the horizon, just hoping, just praying, just waiting for his son to come home. How many times did he go out there and stand on that porch and the sun would rise and set and he would turn around and go back home thinking just maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow he'll come, that maybe tomorrow he'll be there on that horizon. And so he goes out and he stands on the porch one more time and he looks out on the horizon and he scans back and forth until he sees his son marching back home. And, and, and his son is muttering this speech to himself, Father, I've sinned against you and against your house, and I would be lucky to be even considered your slave. Father, I've sinned against you and against your house, and I would be, be lucky to be considered even your slave. And before he can even reach the house, before he can even get there, his father runs out to meet him. And before he can give them this speech that he's prepared his entire way home, before he can say a word to his father, his father wraps his arms around him, gives him a kiss on the cheek, puts his signet ring back on his finger, throws a robe over his shoulder. He brings him back home and he tells all of his servants stop everything you're doing whatever it is it's not that important go kill the fatted calf we're throwing a party tonight for my son was gone but now he's back he was dead but now he's alive my son was lost but now he's found and they throw this party for this younger son and while they're inside having this party, the father comes out to see the younger son coming back in from the field. And the son is angry, for he's heard what's happened. And he yells at his father. And he says, this son of yours came back home and you killed the fatted calf. You didn't even give me a young calf to celebrate with my friends. The father says we had to celebrate. 
For your brother was gone, but now he's home. He was dead, but now he's alive. The brother laments to his father, this isn't fair. And the father smiles at his son and says, you're right. Grace isn't fair. That when God opens a door for us, many times it will be to offer grace. Many times it will be to lay down even our very lives to those in need. That when God opens a door for us, it will be to offer love to those who don't deserve it. That when God opens a door for us, you will know that it is from God because it will be to offer your sacrifice, your, your love, your peace, your patience. It will be to offer everything you are to another person for no other reason than because they are a child of God. May we say yes. Amen.